if you know what you're doing and and you have this this well-respected knowledge people come to you Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Barry. I'm Scott McDaly. All of our programming is brought to you by you guys at Patreon. Thank you, everybody who's helping to support the shows for Patreon. I'll have links to that below if you want to help. Uh, we're also brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings. Hit me up if you have any questions about any of their flavors or any of their supplements. We're brought to you by supplementsource.ca. For those of you in Canada, great blowout deals that change week to week. So, Keep going back, check out their site, see what's new. And last but not least, if you're in the UK, check out Strom Sports Nutrition for all sorts of great health supplements, health blends, and performance stacks. All right, guys, let's get into this thing, man. We're going to talk about coaching. You know, are you ready to coach? A lot of our listeners are coaches themselves. And I know a lot of them listen to us to, 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 to look at really ideas and concepts that they apply to not only themselves, but to their clients. Um, and so I thought it'd be a good topic. We all did, um, considering that the three of us, our main profession is you know, coaching individuals and in fitness and bodybuilding. Um, I wanted to start with you, Andrew, and then we'll get to skip because skip's got the most, uh, experience out of all of us coaching literally for over 20 years. And, and I, would, I do want to note too, guys, for people who are listening to our shows, I remember somebody commented, uh, one of our, like it was a troll comment and he was like, this guy said that coaching is his career, LOL. It's co coaching isn't a career. If it's your full-time job, if you pay all your bills, if this is how you are going to retire, then yes, coaching is your career. So I will leave it at that, and I'm going to turn it over to Andrew. What's up, guys? Um, yeah, to whoever that was, the troll that was saying coaching isn't a career, then what the heck do each of us spend 60 to 70 hours a week doing? I mean, <laughs> right. that's uh, that's pretty wild. But um, it, well, where do we want to go with this? It is because there's a lot of people that are kind of coaching on the side or they're trying to make it a hustle. You know, our, our industry is filled with all sorts of stuff. So I guess when you say a coach, that can mean a lot of different things. But sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, I guess you can look at coach in, in a couple of different lights. And one way you can look at it, you know, okay, let's say I'm a complete newbie, right? And I hire someone who's calling themselves a coach who's done several competitions and, you know, understands macros, knows a little bit about hormones and whatnot. They know more than me. So then, yeah, sure, I can absolutely hire them, probably for like my first contest or, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be hiring them to go to nationals is what I'm saying. You know, you probably do want someone with a little bit more experience for regional, national, and obviously professional level shows. Yeah. Um, and I think we would all agree that we do think the term coach gets thrown around a little too liberally. Uh, I don't want to make this too negative, but we do often see someone do like one contest and then all of a sudden they have a website facebook page a team name and they're you know trying to collect money to help coach clients and sure. oftentimes what we're seeing is them putting out renditions of the plan that their coach gave them because that's all they've had exposure to yeah maybe right. change a little this change a little bit of that and um and, th and then charge for those services you know honestly i don't think that's the right way to go and I i'm only going to go over my experience in, in coaching okay yeah i started out you know, back in the day, my first coach was someone who didn't charge money. You know, he it was one of those things where the coaching industry wasn't what it was. It was just you helped your friends out that were getting ready for a contest if you knew more than them. So yeah. my friend Greg Trombley, who's an excellent natural pro, never uh, I don't think I've ever seen a guy more peeled other than John Meadows. Um, 
took me under his wing, wrote my diet for me and said, you do this, you do this cardio, you practice this posing and we'll train together. And you know, it worked. I got on stage and I learned a lot. The biggest lessons I learned were the discipline, right? You know, cause anyone can make, manipulate macros. Anyone can say, take this supplement or take that. But it was really the discipline of learning what it took to be a bodybuilder in terms of competition side of things, not just the bodybuilder that goes to the gym, lifts weights and eats big, et cetera. Um, because I do think as a coach, one of our jobs, especially with our competitive athletes, is to instill that lifestyle, that discipline, that yeah. mindset, like what it's going to take to go to the next level, what it's going to take to be a champion. So with that being said, um, <clears throat> you know, I continued to learn and continued. And I eventually put myself through my own prep about two years later and I won my class. But I realized I was much too small to, you know, for my goals. So I decided to shut it down for about eight years, trained, learned, read, went to college in that time, got a couple degrees in nutrition and dietetics, uh, spent an inordinate amount of hours on forums like Skip's Forum, like uh, on Tense Muscle, Muscle Mayhem, Professional Muscle. And I was one of those guys that was a lurker. You know, I didn't post much. I just, you know, I, I was really good at seeking out those that had the knowledge and that had reasoning behind their philosophies and the things that they were putting out. And I followed them to a T. And, and just read, learned, and then I would follow up with some of the things they were talking about that I didn't understand. You know, my point being is that it's going to take a lot of outside research on your own end. Yeah. You know? um, things that like, there's no manual that says this is how you prep someone for a bodybuilding show. Right. Cause there's so many facets, you know, from hormone optimization to adrenals, to the diet itself, cardio, all those different things. Right. So there, there just isn't a manual out there that, that teaches you how to do it because everybody is so individual. So you got to put a base of knowledge up, for yourself um, based off some concepts and theories that you pick up along the way. And then, you know, over the years, I started prepping people for free, helping them out, getting them ready for bodybuilding contests, not charging any money, and just, you know, putting my, my theories into practice, putting my, you know, different plans, learning about individuality between people, and um, building a little bit of a reputation to where eventually I felt like I was qualified to ask people for money. So yeah. my point being is it took me from starting to lift weights when I was 13, 14 years old, a good 15 years or more before I decided, hey, I'm qualified to ask people to pay me for, for what I do. Absolutely. And then with that being yeah, with that being said, and, I, and most of my time was spent personal training people, you know, that was my main job for that whole time. Um, the other thing I was going to say was that for anyone that thinks, because I do get, I hear this a lot sometimes from current clients. They, they've had some success at a show or two, they're going to quit their day jobs and they're going to go into full-time coaching. Maybe they had three or four clients you know, previously. And my advice is that's not a good idea. And John Meadows was really good about this to me. Hmm. He was like, look, you know, you know you're ready for full-time coaching when you're making at least double from your coaching side gig than you are from your, your main career. And mm -hmm. honestly, like that made so much sense to me. He's like, look at it this way. He's like, you know, could you quit your job today and completely pay your bills, support yourself, savings, et cetera? You know, he said the other thing is have all your expenditures paid off, pay off your house, pay off your car, yeah. pay off all those things. Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm very risk aversive when it comes to finances. Like if I owe my friend $5, I text him and say, hey, I got that $5. I'm going to see you at the gym tomorrow. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I pay my mortgage two months ahead. I pay, you know, all that shit. So anyway, my point being is that you need to have your ducks in a row before you're ready to jump into full-time coaching, not just the knowledge, not just um, the clientele base. You got to be able to devote yourself to this coaching lifestyle. That's good. I like the, uh, I, I like the, the thing John Meadows had said to you. I didn't, I wasn't, I don't think I was making twice as much, but I was at least making as much 
and yeah. when I when I made the switch that and that was that was a big part of it, man. And that, that's like a grind. If you're going to be making mm-hmm. as much as you are in your day job, you're literally working two full time jobs to get there. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work. I don't know. And I had the same thing too. My house was paid off. I didn't have my car paid off, but you know, it was it was uh it, that's I think sound advice. But yeah, Skip, you've man, you at this point, you know, I I I've known you and I've known of you for a long time. Ever since I've been in bodybuilding, you have been a coach. You've been a coach since before there were online coaches. You were one of <laughs> you were one of the first, and and you've really. I think uh, influenced what a lot of people are doing. You, you definitely were a pioneer. You are a pioneer in coaching. So, I mean, this is a topic I've heard you talk about this. You've been interviewed on other podcasts specifically to, to cover this topic. So I turn it over to you, man. Well, Andrew makes really some really good points and there's a couple that stand out, but I want to, I want to take a cheap shot at the guy that was asking about it being a career. He's one of two, you know, there's two different ways to look at that. He either came from the outside and he's not in the industry and he laughs because I remember when I first started out, it was so long ago that I was slammed for charging people. Well, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to help people. Well, I had so many people coming to me that I had reached out to my mentor and said, look, and this is really how I got started. I'm like, look, I have kids to feed. I feel guilty trying to buy my gear because that money could be going to something else. Can I charge a few bucks on the side for this, for this information? You know, I feel like, okay, it's my time. I'm helping people. They see this as a value. And he's like, of course. And he even said to me, I will back you because remember that was different. That was during the message board, that anonymity, you're going to ask for people to send you. And you know how they pay? <laughs> they sent you money, Western Union. It was the only way to pay you. That's how I got uh, my first. Of, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how I got paid so, the first too. So then you had the you had the gear component where everybody chopped off their heads, and we were so worried. But then I had to go to Western Union like a drug dealer and pick up my money, wondering if I was going to be questioned about why I was being paid. But uh, to the guy's question, the other thing is, is that for someone who's in the industry and may not know, which I don't know how you would know, because top guys are making, I mean, I would almost say this. Yeah, I mean, I'd almost say, look, you know, you want to be an asshole. And and, uh, I think that Meadows did this once to Boston because Boston called him out about money and he put a bank statement up against his bank statement. And it was pretty much a fucking mic drop, like shut that little (laughs) bastard up like now. And Boston did very well. He was doing very well. But he apparently had his ego had grown a little bit too large because he couldn't touch John. So. I would almost say I don't think you understand the potential financially what the revenue really is for guys who have been doing this for a long time and are well known in the industry. So and I and I'll leave it at that. I just I I don't like when people take cheap shots at what we do. And I'll tell you why. Because of this being a giant sea of turds, I've referenced this a million times over, because everybody does it. When I first started doing it, and and for the in the early days, I was much more proud to tell people what I did, which doesn't mean that I'm embarrassed by it now. But within the industry, I am because everybody does what I do. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Service, everybody does it. There's no uniqueness about it. There's nothing, you know, you, you said some very flattering things earlier. Um, and, and I do feel like I was one of the first people to really generate a revenue stream that was that was stable and consistent and feeding kids and putting kids through college, things like that. That kind of when you do that, that <clears throat> you want that to set you apart from mm. the thousands and thousands <laughs> of people who are doing what they're doing. But Andrew made some good points. And the one thing that stands out to me and, and you touched on it a little bit, Andrew. So I'm going to and this is huge. I even wrote it down. So my dumbass didn't forget it. But I don't know how I would because it's so important. You know, there's a million different ways for you to know or have an idea whether you should be asking people to, for money or not. But the, I think the most obvious one is if you know what you're doing and, and you have this this well-respected knowledge, people come to you yes. and ask you, will you work with me? Mm -hmm. And then that's when you have to know and you have to be, I think, have some humility and, and, and be honest with yourself and go, I don't know that I'm able to do that. I don't know if I'm at that level. And if you if you are at that level, cool. But there's no humility. Everyone, not everyone, the the vast majority of people, though, like you were saying, Andrew, with the one show or the two shows and, you know, true novice and this and, you know, they're in men's physique if they're prepping people. And I always like it because they'll cover it with other prep coaches by like, oh, I'm just helping my friends out. And while you're watching them very clearly try to build this business that they know, you know, they have no business doing. But they're going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So it is. I, I don't make any bones about it. it get, that has always gotten under my skin. So, but I and I heard this the other day. I said it on the podcast. The the online training environment milieu, whatever you want to say, uh, ecosystem. I think is what I said. The online training ecosystem purifies itself, and it's true because mm -hmm. it it weeds out people and now for every 10 that go 10 come in that's always going to happen but it purifies itself everything works you know i'm not losing clients to the new kid who thinks he can prep 10 people he that guy though is watering down what we do mm -hmm. no question and, yeah. and that pulls some credibility i think uh away from from us but that's just kind of the nature of the beast so i i quit complaining about those components because there really isn't much that can be that can be done about it. it's no different than social media advertising they do the same. a lot of these online things have their the watered down versions and you're always going to have people who see easy money and that's where i mean that's what a lot of these coaches doing they know they're not they know they don't have the knowledge and the experience but they see the easy money and and they probably like scott like you said when you come in they go man i wish i was in that position well they have the opportunity because there's no credentials to do it you can lie and fake your way through it if you don't know what you're doing and, and you can still have your side hustle yeah and there's a ton of people with great physiques that aren't necessarily good coaches but that you know that's always been a selling point like you know we had goob on not too long ago and we had discussed off air we didn't get into it a ton but like like fraud and scammers have been a part of the fitness industry since like way back. So like the early muscle mags, like we're talking the 1920s or whatever, you know, they were, they were literally selling like 
a spring device because you know some sort of spring with a handle because some big jacked dude was holding it you know for a bunch of money so it's like just because that guy had it that must be what i need to look like him so i think i think there is a, a lot of that it's interesting both you guys had said that you just like you didn't go out and say like i'm gonna become a coach you know this is gonna be my goal i know nothing and i'm gonna get into it like you literally got to the point where it just made sense you know it just made sense financially like i if i don't charge i can't keep doing what i'm doing at the uh, you know the amount of time that i'm putting into it that's right. exactly where i was too and and i did I, I did recognize before that though like intentionally I thought to myself, like, I'm getting really busy doing this and I'm not making anything off of it. But I listened to Dave Palumbo, who said on Heavy Muscle Radio that if you love something, do it for free because eventually it will pay. Just keep doing it. Stick with it. And I thought, like, I didn't even know at first that I was going to be a coach. Like, I just kept giving information away. I guess we still do. Like, we're always giving information away on these podcasts, yeah. you know? And, and eventually, smart. it made <laughs> sense. Yeah, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, Skip? if you have business acumen and you understand, you know, I was slammed for putting the longevity DVD out. Mm. I was slammed by someone very high up in the industry <laughs> who said, this is just silly. You're putting all this information out there for free. And it was, it's you still, I don't know if we have an obligation, but I felt an obligation to put things out, but it, that's only half of it. The other half of it is it is marketing and it is exposure. Mm -hmm. You put information out and then you say, cause it's true. It's, this is what I did. This is what I did to do, but this has to be individualized and customized to what you're doing. It's not a selling point. I mean, it is and it's not, but it's not something that's made up to make, well, you can't do what I do. And that's somehow a lie. Like, it, it, no, I can do it. I'll just do what he did on the launch. I'm sure people did. Maybe they didn't have money. Maybe they didn't want to spend the money. They're like, oh, I'll take what he did and they'll tweak it. Yeah. That's the percentage of it. That thing generated so much money, so much revenue for Team Skip that it was it was kind of funny that I was able to go back and go, <laughs> you were so fucking wrong. Because it, it made me go, damn, maybe I should have, maybe I should have charged for this. So you do have to put some put information out there. You need the exposure. And this, those are the other things with business that I think a lot of people don't understand. Getting into coaching, they go, oh, it's just I just got to get results. And you're floating in this giant, giant sea of turds. You have no niche at all. No, You have no unique methodology. You have nothing that makes people go, hmm, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, he, worked, he thinks outside of the box. You're doing everything that everyone has done that has come before you. Your results will get a little bit of attention. But everybody who is good at being a coach is going to get results. So then it goes, it comes down to the, the minutia, the having rapport with your clients, being relatable to your clients. The large majority of my uh, client base now is the older demographic. Hmm. It's me. I, I still will train a 25 year old. They don't typically want to come to me, though, unless they understand and respect the, the fact that I've been around for a long time. And they're kind of older than their 25-year-old peers. Mm, like uh, more mature. They know I'm not a 5%er. We're not going to be talking about you know, shit that I, I don't, I'm not relatable in that sense. Hmm. Uh, the injuries, things like that. You know, the fact that I have a history of injury brings the older demographic too. I write for elite FGS. That brings the older demographic. The older demographic is great when you're a coach because they have more disposable income. 
They're not fighting to pay their bills in their 20s, too. So there's that. Yeah. There's just a lot. There's a lot there. The timely response. Once you start training a significant amount of people, you don't get three or four days to respond. Yeah. You don't get to respond when you <laughs> feel like it. And if your clients are hanging me. around, it's just silly. Your clients hang around if you're responding through. I don't even know why anybody would pay a significant mm. amount of money and then go, well, you know, he'll get to me when he gets to me. Oh, I'm in a movie right now. Like, and get pissed. I remember this. Great guy. Great dude. Super nice guy. But from a, he was young as a coach. And he's bitching about people blowing up. I told you I was in a movie with my... And he's ran, ranting and raving about this on social media. Bruh, you are shooting yourself in both feet because hmm. potential clients hear you, which is another thing. Your politics, I could go on and on. Your politics and how you feel about social shit should stay off social media because if you piss off one client who's not going to pay you $2,000 to work with you, who might work with you for three or four years, which could be for six, $8,000, you need to keep your fucking mouth shut about things. You know, if you want to stand on principle, that's cool. But yeah. you just cut your potential client base in half because now they have to agree with you and your your political position to want to work with you. If you don't think that people don't you don't ostracize yourself with your opinions. You're nuts. There's a lot to building a business. It's not just about, oh, man, I'm going to get 30 pounds off this dude. and He's going to stand on stage. Jack, there's the bodybuilding part of it. And then there's the business acumen or the business component of it. And they you have to well, I understand that is social media as well. You got to know what the fuck you're doing all the way through to really make not just a living, but a stable, reliable income that doesn't do this throughout the year and from year to year, and then try staying relevant. Oh, you don't have yeah. the time for that topic. <laughs> Let me add one to, more thing to that. Cause yeah. I know we got to move on. Let me yeah. add one thing. Would you guys also agree that you became good as coaches and you learned how to be businessmen in the process of running your coaching business. Yes. Absolutely. I'm still working out that yeah. businessman part. I still, I could, it's a, it's I could be better thing. at that. It's the yeah. dynamic thing because you got to, and I was going to say in response to the guy that was posting this, you know, the thing that you said, Skip, about don't bother me when I'm at the movies. That I think as part of business, you got to really relate to your clients, your expectations for business hours. And it, cause it's a two way street and an agreement. Yeah. Obviously there's, there, there's things that come up. Like, you know, I've had someone over in Philippines, they're on a different schedule. So I've got to make some accommodations for them. But, you know, a lot of good coaches, they have their specific check in times. They have their specific formats of how they want check ins. Like like for me, I don't like doing text or WhatsApp. I like everything to go through email. It's almost like a deli ticker system. Like your order comes in as it comes in. And it's where I focus my attention during the day. You know, yeah. um, I like to keep my text messages and my Instagram stuff more for just socializing, maybe bringing in new clients. But I don't want our dialogue to be in three or four different places. I like to see right. everything. That's a mess. I know Skip uses a, a forum system where he has his form and all the information going back five, 10 years is all there. My point just being is that like, you're not instantly on day one going to be a good businessman. But I think as you develop your skills as a coach and your clientele improves, increases, you need to improve as a businessman. And that just kind of comes if you are intelligent, forward thinking and open to ideas. Yeah, that is a, that's a great point to add. And I was thinking the same thing because we, you know, we do have to, of course, move on to our questions. But I think what both you guys are talking about is it in this last segment with business is good communication like what are the expectations you know sure. if if you're if if you know because you do at the same time have to set limits and you know if somebody you know but I, yeah anyway that's all you're right skip that is a whole other topic we could keep going on this um there's a lot there that's the whole point being a good coach there's 
it's so com- far more complex than the vast majority of people who just get into it. They don't realize what goes into it. Well, it's All like right. being a good football coach. They don't just know, like Belichick doesn't just know X and O's. He knows right. personalities. He knows how to motivate men. He knows how to organize the team structure from the home office down to the kicker, the punter, et cetera. So it's all about management. All right. So we'll get into our listener questions, guys. If you want to take part in the next shows, then comment below. Uh, all of our YouTube comments, we go through those. We take the questions for the next episodes, plus comments, all that stuff. It helps to boost our programming and the algorithm. You know, I didn't mention it at the beginning, but if you're new here, welcome to our programming. And I encourage you to subscribe and hit the bell. We've got several bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week. Educated coaches like these guys, people who've been experienced, been around the block for a long time, uh, IFBB pros. And uh, we're all here to uh, help you to get better at this sport and have fun. Right, Skip? I forgot I was going to say in the last segment, uh, in the comments, maybe our listeners might want to add uh, their best and worst experiences with coaches <laughs> they've had or maybe particular stories or, or things that have you know come up of note that um, you know have influenced their coaching decisions. And do you coach? I've wondered that because we get a lot of people who mm. comment that I can get the vibe they're coaching other people. How many of our listeners are coaches themselves? That'd be cool to know. Elijah asks us, um, how long should you wait after a bulk phase before moving into a cut, assuming uh, blood and other health markers look good. Does a holding phase legitimately, quote, solidify the gains? Also, shout out to Elijah. A handful of these questions are coming from Patreon. So thank you to everybody who's helping to support the programming through Patreon. Uh, You guys are helping me justify put like freaking 40 hours into this podcast each week or more. The holding phase. What do you think, Andrew? This has been, you know, this I'll has been something that, you, uh, well, I know, and Dante is who comes to mind because I think he probably preached that holding phase. It wasn't his term, but he was basically saying that once you come off of a uh, a gaining phase, you know, you come off the office, that you need to have that time to kind of let your body adapt to holding that muscle. I think it, it might be... It might be more about just your body getting adapted to that higher caloric intake, which supports the muscle. I don't know, and I'm kind of splitting hairs here. But um, what do you what do you think about that? I, I'm more than willing to give my opinion too. I don't mean to throw you know throw yeah. you out there and then go. Mm, I don't yeah. agree with you. <laughs> well, we all we all got plenty of opinions, and, and and they'll change you know based off of who we're talking about probably because it is so inter individual. But I, you know, I had a thought about this, and and it's it kind of it's kind of the opposite of ex, uh, example of going from the bulk phase down to a cutting phase. But Samson, who's getting ready for the Olympia, and I don't know if you guys have seen his pictures in the last couple of days. Not in the last couple days, but in general, he's incredible. Why? What's going on? Well, from from the Boston Pro to now, he's made a huge amount of progress under Milos. Like I think he's okay. like three oh eight. His picks were like or video was like three oh eight abs, slight glute lines already. Like he's he's obviously leveled up big time. And everyone's like, oh, he's probably going to be like fourth or third at the Olympia. And I instantly sent a message to Nate Spear. I'm like, you know, I actually would like to see him skip this Olympia hold on to these gains in a holding phase or whatever we want to call it 
and cement them in and then come out, qualify early next year, and then go and do the Olympia. Because hmm. I do feel with some of these athletes that, you know, the freshest muscle is the first muscle to go in a contest prep. Yeah. And I would just hate to see someone make those th- those kind of gains just to show up looking the same way as they did at a show where they got like fourth or fifth that wasn't the Olympia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I really think it's individual, though, because I've done things with, with people where I know that they hold their muscle really, really well. And then there's other people where they've made a lot of progress in an off season and they're so anxious to get back on stage. And I'm like, I want to push it another six months. And instead of doing spring shows, let's do the late season shows because I really want to cement this in. Hmm. So I do think, you know, I do think there is something to that holding phase, both from a diet going up and from a bulk going down to a diet. It's funny that you talk about the, and I think it's similar to how I feel. You're talking about the shows kind of being put off, you know, to continue the growth phase. I think it's something that is missed by a lot of lower level amateur guys, you know, regional, state, things like that. When you get to the national level, you don't have much of a choice. You're picking from three shows essentially mm-hmm. to shoot for that pro card. So you're kind of locked into those. If you if you miss one, then you only have two other ones that year and you got to wait for the next year. But when you don't have to do that and you're in a growth phase, I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this, but I'm going to say it again. The body doesn't always want to grow and you're not going to always be lucky enough that you're in a really good growth. Don't stop the growth Hmm. phase just because, oh, well, I want to do the show unless you just I guess you have to. And I can't a lot of times you may think you have to, but you don't have to. There is a there is this level of impatience uh, and urgency in the industry that I think doesn't need to be there. Um, there is for someone who's old as fuck like me, if I still want to, I, you know, I don't know how many healthy years I've got left to be able to do this injury with injuries and stuff. But the, the vast majority of people, if you're, you know, you're in your 30s and you're coming into your 40s, there is still time. There's no real rush. Mm. And if you take that extra time to be able to continue to grow, if you're still growing, let your body grow. Don't change gears and then go into a cup phase. I would say, if you could, to me, this is ideal. If you're in a growth phase, grow. Grow until you feel like you're just really forcing. There's, there, you want to coerce or manipulate instead of force, whether you're getting lean or you're growing. As soon as we start to force, the body will eventually fight back and it's done. The body will win. Yeah. So coerce and manipulate. Coerce and manipulate your gains. Coerce and manipulate your body to get lean. When you go into force mode when you're gaining, that might be the time then to switch gears. Instead of forcing very little growth or no growth at all, take that plateau, spend that time getting lean again, which is going to not only get you on stage, probably in better condition and bigger and a better package than you were before, but it's also going to then set up the off-season gains after that cut phase to go back at it again. Would you guys agree with this? I'm kind of setting you up because I know you will. That somebody is going to be more likely to comfortable. They're going to be more likely to hold more weight if they're comfortable holding it. Like if you get a guy up to 250, he's never been to 250 Mm. before and he can't tie his shoes and he feels like shit. And now his appetite's down and it's, it's affecting his ability to perform in the gym as well as in life. Holding that 250 is going to be different than if you can get comfortable at that 250. You know what I'm saying? I think that to me is a, is a big factor. So I'm I'm almost thinking like if you can get somebody to 250 and keep them comfortable at 250, say, then you're going to be probably a lot better off 
moving into that cut phase than if it took everything you had to get to that 250 you know yeah yeah you change your metabolic set point in a sense you you you've leveled up to where yeah. your muscle mass is now not at 240 or 230 it's at 250 and that's where your body wants to stay because i think we all know you know there, there's a resistance whether it's trying to diet and get super lean, mm-hmm. but there's an equal resistance on gaining weight, even if it's not yeah. muscle weight, right? It's harder to put on muscle, but it's hard to put on weight in general past a certain point once you get to a certain caloric intake, once you right. get to, yes. like, there's not just some exponential le- formula of if I continue eating 100 more calories every week, I'm going to continue gaining. Oh, no, no, no. Your thyroid, your adrenals, there's so many body systems that play a role in restricting that, both dieting and to get super lean and bulking to get super muscular yeah i'd agree all right we got another one from ted and he is also from patreon so shout out to you my friend and he says uh not sure if this has been covered i was wondering if there's any research or evidence about the uh efficacy efficient uh, i think he means efficacy yeah efficacy of research chems versus actual drugs when it comes to things like novadex or arimidex I was actually going to touch on this because I've been seeing a lot of posts from, I don't know if they're a sponsor still, are they? Amino Asylum? Yes. Yes. Use our code THINK for additional savings. Although I don't use them for Arimidex personally. That's that's a different I'm going to walk around this one. I'm going to tiptoe around this one, okay? But they've been publishing their HPLC lab testing reports, right? Which is great. I think that's awesome. That's great they're doing. First, I think a different company should be doing it, meaning like a... Like I know on the message boards back in the day, a rando would hire or ask for, you know, someone to test their products and and then post the results and not pay them for it, not do anything, right? Yeah. They, they would compensate them, I guess, after the fact, after the results were processed. But um, they've been coming back with a lot of their products overdosed, like sometimes up to 20%. Now that, that is just as... That's just as bad as if they were underdosed 20% in my, in my opinion. Agreed. Now, some people be like, oh, oh, sweet, I can take a little bit less or I'm going to save a few more bucks. I want compounds to be accurately dosed. Um, I want them to be, if it says 25 milligrams, I want it to know that it's 25 milligrams because if I want to take half that, I want to take 12 and a half or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that comes to mind, like clenbuterol. You know, if clenbuterol is double dosed, you know, and you think you're taking 60 mics and all of a sudden you're taking 120, well, shit, that's why your body completely locked up while you're sleeping and right. you can't even make it to get a glass of water. You know what I mean? It's, it, right. can, it can be kind of dangerous too with some of these. If your Remedex is overdosed, well, now you're crashing your estrogen possibly. Um, th- there's just so many ways you can go with all the different compounds. I just, the only thing I want to see overdose would be growth hormone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> When you bring up a good point too, you know, when you're dealing with micrograms and it's overdosed, that is mm-hmm. potentially more of a problem or more problematic than if you're dealing with milligrams and it's slightly overdosed. Mm-hmm. I would ask this question though, and I'm asking it of you guys and liquid uh, chemicals, you know, ancillary providers too. Are they overdosing them because the longer they sit, in fluid or the solution that there's degradation i've wondered that man i've wondered if i've wondered if companies would be different some may some may not but then there's different levels of degradation i -hmm. think that there has to be and it goes all the way back to the to the um um um, american bodybuilding products when they had amino fuel Mm. you would Mm -hmm. drink it and it would be kind of like like slimy and then you'd just have 
massive Chinese MSG, Chinese food MSG diarrhea. And the reason is because that protein, just protein, will not, it's very difficult for that not to degrade. I don't even know how they finally figured out how not to do it because there are meal replacements that have protein in it now. But it was understood back in the day that it would degrade and that's why it was powder. And that's why you would get the such violent diarrhea from American. You remember American bodybuilding products? It was literally yeah. the first Carbo Force that tasted like fucking syrup. I love like the Carbo Force tubes when you were little. You remember them wax tubes? And you're you guys aren't going to. I'm, yeah. I'm so no, dangerous. no, I know what you're talking wax about. Wax tubes that you stuck on, and they oh, had that yeah, syrup in it. That was yeah. a Carbo Force. It was just giant versus a little wax tube. I was but a fat like kid trying to get one. in shape. And I knew that supplements would help, so I started slamming CarboForce at 100 grams. <laughs> and I, I was like, this is going to help. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked about as well as it did for me. Yeah. I had one pre and one post. And I got into the caffeine ones. There was like that coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah, tea. yeah. Like super tea yeah, or like, something. I don't know. I'm taking these supplements. I'm spending the money. I don't know why I'm not getting leaner. What the hell is going on? Anyway, I digress. But the point is, is there? I think that there is, well, it's either that. It's either the degradation or, like we've always said, the supplements that sell are the supplements you feel. I've and wondered. Halloween was mm -hmm. the best supplement ever because you felt it. So goddamn it, it must be working and it must be great. Bit Allen. Which one? Oh, Bit Allen. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've wondered. I, I guys. think they're doing it to stand apart. Honestly, I think they're doing it to stand apart from you know because they might hear that other companies are underdosed. I think they're going to say, "Hey, we're at least giving you your money's worth, if not more." You know. Yeah. I have wondered well, though the if there consumer. are if oh, there yeah. are some products that do break down like i've wondered because i've seen you know there's there's one of two things that has happened in the past there was a point when i was working with a ton of men's physique guys locally and all of them were really poor kids that were just buying all their their arimidex like you get you know research chem arimidex 30 milliliters milligram per milliliter and it's buy one get one free for 25 bucks you can't beat that right yeah. but then no. we're dosing this arimidex there was like a bunch of them and it worked really good at first and then i saw systematically that we needed more and we needed more and before you know it there's kids that are taking like i know i could tell that it wasn't real we didn't have labs yet but i'm like yeah we're, we're up at like one milligram every other day of a rimidex to control estrogen on 500 milligrams of test you know it's like something's off here i've wondered is it that they got cheaper over time because that's always a factor did this company start out you know all these ugls do they start out with a good product and then start you know using less and less and less over time and seeing what they can get away with save money or is that a Remedex breaking down in the, the, the pegylated liquid that it's in, you know? We should ask uh, Vigorous Steve when we got him on, if he knows that yeah. one. That's a good question, yeah. 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 And I'll go on record and say, uh, because this may pertain to the, to the question too, I think it does. I have not used farm-grade ancillaries in years. And so I think, I've always felt, and I tell my clients the same thing, if you do have a source that you trust for your liquid ancillaries, then I think they're great. The question is who you're going, just like anything else, it's just like regulars, it's just like gear, it's just like growth hormone. You have to trust and, and feel good about the source that the, the products that you're getting are quality products. And I have, I've always felt that, the, when I say always, 90% of the time, every now and then I would try something uh, like a, I'd get stuck and have to try something because another place would not have what I needed. And I may think, oh, okay, this isn't as good. 
but by and large, I think that I think that liquid products are good, and I have always used them. Use them for God, probably twelve back to the mid two thousands, probably two thousand seven, maybe two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Long time ago. Let's see what else we got here. We got maybe time for another question before we uh, close this one out and hang out with Steve. Um, let's see if I can find something good here. Uh, no, I'm just going to randomly grab one. Reza, this is on you, man. If this question isn't good, it's all your fault. You ruined the show. No, I'm kidding. He's a good, he's a, he's a longtime fan of ours. He says, Hey guys, question for the next one. Um, whenever I'm in my off season, I don't really see much gain in muscle until I'm really high body fat, like 22% or more. Do you think there are some outliers that need to be that fat in order to gain, or am I missing something? Also, I always slowly gain on the off season, and diet is on point and clean. Twenty-two is it's, high. Uh, yeah, I was going to say uh, that's like you know, <laughs> that's really high yeah. uh, for a for male bodybuilder. I and especially when they're well, not all the time, but more so with uh, if they're natural that I, I can think of one in particular that I have literally just had to force fatter to get the game. And I was actually shocked that it <laughs> I was, I felt like I was out of options. Like, God, this guy has to grow better than this. So mm. we just started and it's systematic. It wasn't just, you know, throwing the kitchen sink at it, but that's how he grew. And it made for a very tough, you know, prep and cut phase. But at the same time, that was really the only way to get this. And he grew better than he had. I've worked with him for probably four years. So I think those people are are out there. I think, honestly, it, let's just say this guy right here that had to go to 20. I don't know whether he uses gear, whether he's natural. I'm not sure. Um, but if he is listening, it would be cool if he could chime in real quick. He's not. Because it, I – okay. Yeah. All right. Then I guess it's it's hard to tell, but I think twenty two. He's is he's yeah. He I believe high. we've talked to him about gear questions before. Oh, I got gear. nothing at. Yeah, he is on gear. Okay, all right. Actually, no, I do have yeah. one person where I keep their body fat much much higher than I like to because we've tried you know everything else under the sun. Like Skip's talking about, it, it's more of a last ditch effort kind of thing to see yeah. if we can accumulate mass faster. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we're, this is actually the first time we're really doing it. So time will tell, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's not for everyone to, I think the majority of the population, 22% body fat is, is pretty high. That's, that's like a, you know, out of shape general population person really. So, and, and then the diet phase, it's more of like a 30 week prep to really take time to push and then pull back when needed to, to get you into shape. So you just, you gotta be a mentally strong person. You know, I gotta give the guy credit though, for admitting that he's 22% because most people at 22% will call themselves 15 all day long. Yeah, <laughs> true. Is it you possible? Get those clients, you're like, oh, I'm at 15. Then you see the pictures. You're like, you aren't even in, you aren't even close. There's that's the, not even in the same <laughs> It's stratosphere. It's not the same thing. Bruh, you're way fatter than 15%. Guys, is it possible that um, that it is the diet, though? Like, we're assuming, we're making some assumptions here that when he says, like, the diet is good, that the diet is good. Yeah. Are there things yeah. that he could be looking at, you know, maybe, maybe digging into well, deeper? 
Yeah, maybe he utilizes carbohydrates too much and his body prefers fats as a fuel source more. Um, maybe he's going the other way, you know. Um, maybe he never got himself truly insulin sensitive in the first place and mm. he didn't start from a clean slate. So th- I, guess it, I guess I'd be interested to see if he ever did a contest prep and how he went about his post-contest phase coming out of that. that That's that, a good that question. Yeah. Man. Yeah, well, I when wonder. your body fat's that high, you have to wonder how insulin sensitive he really is anyway. So it is kind of an odd or an outlier. He's an outlier in the sense that if you're not really growing until your body fat is that high, you have you know, different estrogen levels, your insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity should be so much further out of whack than if you were, you know, 15, 16, 12%, that sort of thing. So here's, there's a lot one other there. Thought. One other thought, maybe he's, you know, like half the people in the sport think they look better than do half the other people think they look worse. Maybe he's one of these people where he's really 14, 15%, but he calls himself 22%. <laughs> that could be, that could be. There's that. You know, yeah. Because he just doesn't and look he would like be, your Joe Blow on Instagram who stays in right. shape 24 or seven, you know? Yeah. He would be, if we ever did an autopsy, like on training and dieting and stuff like I would want to, like on the show, it would be cool to do someone like that who if that really was the case, because that is one of those like kind of exception to the rule to have to, to put mm-hmm. on if it, if it truly is that he is, you know, he has a body fat level that high and he hasn't grown to that point for us to autopsy that and rip apart the training, rip apart the diet and stuff. And, you know, I, we brought this up before uh, and it would take a little bit more effort on, you know, for the three of us, but it would be something that would be good for the show. Yeah. It would be kind of cool. That would be that. cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Well, guys, we got to close this thing out because we have uh, our other episode, which if people are watching this, they've already seen the other episode because that's actually going to come out first. Um, I did want to mention, guys, if you hadn't checked it out over at Elite FTS, Skip, you literally just flew out to Elite in Columbus to do what equated to like a three-hour interview. It was a live podcast that you did with Dave Tate at the gym, wasn't it? Yep, Table Talk uh, with Elite FTS. And it was a lot of fun, about almost three hours. And we spent another four shooting the shit afterwards. I really didn't. I, I think I wanted to stay, but he just kept looking at his watch, tapping his watch, <laughs> you know, like, like is, it, is it working? I'm like, okay, I'll go. It's like they say with the Midwesterners, you know, when it's time to leave because they smack their hands on their knees and they go, well, well, I have to. And then <laughs> I'm a Midwesterner. Then you say, oh, I guess it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I had well, a lot of fun. I have to turn right around and go. You go back to Columbus too. Yes. Uh, I go yeah. tomorrow. When do you go? We're leaving tomorrow. We we were gonna leave like okay. afternoon, but we we our dog sitter uh doesn't isn't available until like late at, we we're still trying to figure it out. We were planning on leaving yesterday or tomorrow afternoon, but We'll, we'll see. Oh, you're driving down there, aren't you? Yeah, we're only three hours away, Listen, so that's an easy trip. What you got to do is what I did. You got to get your dog registered as a service dog so you can bring him anywhere. Yeah, I like having either somebody at the house or I want to take my guns out of the house. I don't leave that shit unattended. You know what I'm saying? So there is there is that. But yeah, I like that. Also, too, Betsy is an awesome dog. She's part of my family. I love her she would destroy literally every single person that was in that room. It would not be pretty. She would be, it would be a mess. People would know it was. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and also Andrew too, you just finished writing an article about variable heart rate. That's going over at the uh, mountain dog site, isn't it? 
Ooh, yep. Nice. Part of uh, right. I do several articles a month for for the site. This one is uh, for our recovery section. Um, yeah, comes out I think actually today because I finished it last night. So all right. Well, if you guys are a member over there, go check that out. And if you're not a member, consider to check it out because there is a lot, like a whole archive of a lot of great education over there too. Going back to 2012, I believe. Yeah. Or even before, nice. earlier, man. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up, guys. We appreciate you tuning in uh, and hanging out with us. Of course, uh, like I said earlier, if you're new to our content, we'd love to have you along for more of it. So hit that subscribe button, hit the bell, all that stuff, plus comments. Comment with questions for the next show and uh, check out our great sponsors. Of course, our number one sponsor is you, the people from Patreon. Thank you guys very much. We're also brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, and Strum Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. For another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, I'm Scott McNally. Guys, we'll see you soon.